Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Andrew Kochansky. I'm so glad that we can worship together. Is that right? I'm so glad. I want to give a brief introduction as to where I live and what I do. I live in the country and a few times a year when the drought's not on bad, they harvest, they harvest things, they harvest crop. I'm involved in a church plant and that's a very, very grassroot uh, level of evangelism. We had some literature evangelists come by and we canvassed together, knocking on doors in our community. And we meet in a school of arts hall. We have Bible study together. We break the word, break the bread of life open. And there's our group. And I believe that this young man here, Finne, and there he is there, he preached here a few weeks ago. A very godly young man. He's in ministry and he's also a literature evangelist we have a care group we, we sing at a nursing home we have sabbath lunch together we play together with social night we do puzzles together we have a community class cooking class with a health lecture with a cooking demonstration and a three course plant-based meal and this is my wife and i and she's in my heart Currently, I'm attending the Incredible Journey Bible College with Pastor Louis Torres. And he knows you, Pastor Jeff. Mm. And this picture was taken, this couple here, they're an older couple. I sold them some books, one of which was Peace Above the Storm, which is Steps to Christ. And the front cover of this Peace Above the Storm was the same piece that God was painting as the sun was setting. And this old couple, she's in her 90s, he's in his 80s. He said, can I pray for you? And I thought it'd be a good chance to take a photo of them because both of their eyes are closed and click, I took a photo as they prayed. It's a reminder that we pray before we open the word of God. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that we can gather around your word this morning. May we hear you speak to us and to our hearts, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The, the, the sermon title is, What is that in your hand, laboring together with God? Today we'll look briefly at three Bible characters, three Bible heroes, who combined their weakness with God's strength and see if, if God will be calling us just like he called Moses, Jeremiah, and Joshua. Moses was the man of God. And I want to paint the picture by saying that the Israel of God is in bondage. How does the God of Israel feel when the Israel of God is in bondage? And God calls Moses. 
God calls Moses. We saw two gentlemen here being called. God called them. God calls Moses. Amen. Exodus chapter 4. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. God sees and God responds and God hears the prayers of his children in bondage and God calls Moses. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Exodus 4, 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared to you. And verse 2. And the Lord said unto him, What is that? In thine hand. And he said, A rod. Why did God ask Moses what he had in his hand? Did God not know what Moses had in his hand? How did God ask, What is that in your hand? Why did he ask that? God knew that Moses had a stick. What did Moses have in his hand? He had something that God could use. So let me ask you a question. What do you have in your hand? What has God placed in your hand? Do you have some talent? Do you have some time? Do you have some youthful energy? Do you have some middle-aged opportunity? Do you have some senior wisdom? What do you have in your hand? Because what you have in your hand is different to what I have in my hand. So Moses had a rod. The rod of Moses became what? When he threw it down, what did it become? A serpent. The rod of Moses became a rod when he caught the serpent by the tail. The rod of Moses can better be called the rod of God. The rod of God. When Moses takes his wife and his children back to Egypt, he takes not the rod of Moses, he takes the rod of God in his hand. The rod of Moses has become now the rod of God. The rod of Moses was used by God to bring the plague of hail only in the land of Egypt and not in the land of Goshen where the children of Israel were. The rod of Moses was used by God to bring the plagues of locusts, the plague of locusts all over the land of Egypt. The rod of Moses can better be called the rod of God. God worked with what Moses had in his hand. And God can work with you what you have in your hand. God knows you, he made you, and he wants to work through you. Give what you have in your hand to God, and God will use it for his glory. Now let's look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah the youth. Jeremiah the youth. Come with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, the call of Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And then verse 6, notice what verse 6 says. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am what? A child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. God wants to use our words and our mouth to lead others to him. What else can God use? God wants to use me and God wants to use you. Do not say, ah, oh, I'm a child, I cannot speak. Who formed man's mouth? To whom does it belong? The best use of our mouth and speaking is to draw people's attention from earth to heaven. Amen. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you. In the morning I prayed and I said, God, I have a busy day. Use me today. And the first job I had to do was to transplant a pot from a pot that had outgrown its, its pot into a bigger pot. And as I'm doing that little job, a car drives past, a truck drives past, and he stops. An old man says, he calls out to me through the window, says, I've been driving past your place, and I just want to stop and say you've done a good job. I said, oh, praise God. I thought, oh, no, we're not in church. I just said, praise God to a total stranger. And he looks at me and says, so what brand of a Christian are you? I said, what, what makes you say that? And he says to me, he says, you have Christian written all over your face. Amen. And I look at you, church family, and guess what? You have Christian written all over your face. Amen. Why do we try to hide it? Let the world see that this is what a Christian looks like. This is what a Christian says. This is what a Christian does. You have Christian written all over your face. Is that true? Don't hide it. Another time I was canvassing... And I begin my work with prayer. And I came to this car, and there was a father, a grandmother, and a daughter. So I showed the father the books. No, he didn't want the books. I showed the grandmother. Surely the grandmother wants to buy books for the granddaughter, but no, she said no. That's fine. As I'm about to go, the mother comes out, 
And I thought, oh, I don't want to speak to the mother. The father said no. The grandmother said no. The mother will surely say no. So I just said hello to her and I kept on going. Around, I finished the day and I came back to that same place because where you start is where you finish. And God says to me, are you going to knock on that door? I said, I already did. I spoke to the father, spoke to the grandmother. And he says, are you going to knock on that door? I said, oh, that's right. I haven't knocked on that door. I haven't spoken to the mother. So, yes, Lord, I'll do that door before I go. So I come to that door, and then the mother, single mother, the father was just visiting, disabled son, three or four children, desperately needy. I showed her the children's book. She said, these are fantastic. She was very interested. She gave her last $1.93. She had $1.93. She pulled out her phone and said, I will put down a deposit of $1.93. That's all I've got. Now, thank God we live in Australia because in a few days' time, she'd get more money from the government and so on. But I said, are you right for food? Don't let me take your last $1.93. She said, no, that's fine. She sent her son, can you get me a few more five-cent pieces to bring it up to a $2 deposit. She got six books, six children's books. Who do you think the children's books are about? About Jesus. She spent her last $1.93 because she wanted her children to, learn, to know about Jesus. Praise God, he can use us. He can use us. Amen. Now, let's learn from Jeremiah. If God calls you, and I believe he has, just go. Just go. Just be willing to be used. Now, if God opens a door, walk through that door. If God sets up a situation, thank him for the situation and just walk through it. Do not be afraid of their faces. I am with you. Recognize that and just go for it. Say something. Speak up for God. Continuing on in in verse 7, the second half of verse 7. There's a promise there. And whatsoever I command you, thou shalt speak. And for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatsoever I command you, you shall speak. And verse 8, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you. And then God does something amazing. Verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So whose mouth is it? God's mouth. This mouth belongs to God. And he's going to put his words into his mouth. Aren't you glad about that? I am. Speak the words of God. The best thing we can do with our mouth is to praise God. Is that right? That's the best thing you can do. Now let's look at Joshua, the man of prayer, the man of power. To paint the picture, there's a Bible story that says there were five kings of the Amorites who had made an attack on Israel. And these, these 
Amorites, I'm sorry, these five Amorite kings had made an attack on Gibeon. Now, Gibeon had made an alliance, an unholy alliance, which needed to be honored between Gibeon and Israel. So we have five Amorite kings attacking Gibeon. Gibeon has made an alliance, an unholy alliance with Israel, but that alliance needs to be honored. And so now Gibeon comes to Joshua and says, come and help us. So Joshua is now bound and he will go to Gibeon to help defend Gibeon from the five Amorite kings. Do you think Joshua was afraid? Absolutely he was afraid. Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. Joshua 10 and verse 8. Joshua 10, 8. Joshua must have been afraid because God said to him in verse 8, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall stand not a man of them, there shall not a man of them stand before thee. So the Lord, if you keep on reading the story, the Lord fought for Israel. Now what happened was, more died, God sent hail to destroy the enemy. More died in the hail than they could kill with the sword. Whose battle was it anyway? Was it Joshua's battle or was it the Lord's battle? It was the Lord's battle, and so God took things into his own hands and rains down hail, and more died in the hail than died by the sword. And in the heat of the battle, in the day when God is fighting for Israel, this is the prayer of Joshua in verse 10, uh, sorry, verse 12. Joshua 10:12 Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel and he said in the sight of Israel Son stand thou still upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon That's a pretty brave prayer wouldn't you say He's praying to God and says, God, the battle's not over. It's a long day. We have five Amorite kings to destroy. Please lengthen the day. Sun, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Please do something. Make the day longer. God, help. What kind of prayer was that? Pretty bold, wouldn't you say? Patriarchs and Prophets says this, The Spirit of God inspired Joshua's prayer, that evidence might again be given of the power of Israel's God. Hence, the request did not show presumption on the part of the great leader. Joshua had received the promise that God would surely overthrow these enemies of Israel. Yet, he put forth, at, he put forth as earnest effort as though success depended upon the armies of Israel alone. He did all that human energy could do, and then he cried in faith for what? Divine aid. 
The secret of success is the union of divine power with human effort. Those who achieve the greatest results are those who rely most implicitly upon the almighty arm. Can we learn from that? The secret of success? You want to know how to be successful in the Christian life? Div uh, get, get the union between divine power and human effort. Is there a partnership? Absolutely. Rely most implicitly upon the almighty arm. That's how we get victory. We don't get victory by gritting our teeth and clenching our fists and with willpower. This has nothing to do with willpower. This has to do with God's power. We just hang on to God. We do our part. He does his part. And it's a successful union. It's a beautiful, successful union. Divine power, human effort. The man who commanded sun, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon, is the man who for hours lay prostrate upon the earth in prayer in the camp of Gilgal. The men of prayer are the men of power. Amen. Isn't that something? The men of prayer are the men of power. Incredible, isn't it? Christ's object lessons, 333. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes what? Omnipotent. Isn't that saying something? So what's the purpose of prayer then? Is it to force God down? Or is it to align our will with His will so it be can become omnipotent? Pretty amazing, isn't it? The quicker that my will lines up with God's will, the better. That's where the power is. Come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Did Paul understand this? Where's the power? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Do you see where the emphasis needs to be? Earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Desire of Ages says this, This is why. The preaching of the gospel was committed to erring men rather than to angels. It is manifest that the power which works through the weakness of humanity is the power of God. And thus we are encouraged to believe that the power which can help others as weak as ourselves can help us. 
We are laborers. We are to be laborers together with the heavenly angels in presenting Jesus to the world. With almost impatient eagerness, the angels wait for our cooperation. For man must be the channel to communicate with man. Can you imagine that God is waiting for you? God is waiting for me. God is waiting to use what I have in my hand. God is waiting to to use my mouth. God is waiting to use my hands, my feet. And God is waiting for me. We say, Lord, I'm waiting for you. Who is waiting for who? Maybe God is waiting for me. God is waiting for you. And when we give ourselves to Christ in wholehearted devotion, angels rejoice that they may speak through our voices to reveal God's love. What a thought. Why does God need wholehearted devotion? Why can't I just give God a little bit of my heart? Isn't that enough? Why does he ask for wholehearted devotion? Can't I just have a foot in church and a foot in the world? How's that going to work for you? Angels want to cooperate with us, but they can only cooperate when we give ourselves fully to God. The great outpouring of the Spirit of God, which lightens the whole earth with His glory, will not come until we have an enlightened people that know by experience what it means to be laborers together with God. Know by experience. Maybe that's why God allows trouble, because He wants us to develop that experience. So when we have that experience with God, he's like, yes, now you know that I can deliver you. Now you know that I can save you because you have some experience with me. Laboring together with God. Let's know by experience. Come with me to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three and verse six. First Corinthians three six. Apostle Paul is writing, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God gave the increase. And then verse nine. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. So who are we laboring together with? Laboring together with God. And then Isaiah 27. Isaiah 27. If we're laboring, where are we laboring? Who are we laboring with? Isaiah 27. 
verse 2 and 3. Isaiah 27, 2 and 3. In that day sing ye unto her a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day. Whose responsibility is it to care for the vineyard? According to this verse, what does God say? I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day. God takes care of his work. What do you say? God takes care of his work. We need to be laborers together with him. It's his work. He's using us. The humble, efficient worker who obediently responds to the call of God may be sure of receiving divine assistance. To feel so great and holy a responsibility is of itself elevating to the character. Just think of it. We are... We are like employed by God himself. He's hired us, he's using us, and we're working for God. We're working with God. What do you think that does to your character? That God would use me. That God can use you. It calls into action the highest mental qualities, and their continued exercise strengthens and purifies mind and heart. The influence upon one's own life as well as upon the life of others is incalculable. Cannot calculate how God can use me to reach others. Beautiful, beautiful thought. And how does the book of Mark end? The book of Mark, right down the end, is Mark 16. What does Mark 16 mean? 20 say Mark 16:20 The closing verse of Mark 16:20 says and they and that will be the, the disciples or the apostles and they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following Amen, Amen. And what a thought just because the Gospel of Mark closes doesn't mean that the work of God closes. Because the Lord was working with them. God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. But in order for us to develop a character like Christ's, we must share in his work. In order to enter into his joy, the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice, we must participate in their labors. Sorry, we must participate in his labors for their redemption. We've got to work with God for the laboring of, of saving souls. If we want to have joy, we want to have experience of laboring for their redemption so we can have joy in heaven, right? Amen. If we want to see joy, joy of seeing souls redeemed, we've got to help them. You know what, what she says? She says that angels look for those who are in desperate need. 
and they roll up their sleeves. The, the more hopeless the situation, the more eager they are to jump in and help. Isn't that amazing? Angels of heaven look for desperate cases to help them. And shouldn't we do the same? Absolutely. Let's hear a closing appeal from God's heart to your heart. Because you will never have a better opportunity to work for the salvation of souls than today. What if all your experience up until now has just given you evidence that God can use you, God can help you, and God can bless you? What if you can be used by God more today than ever before? What if all your history has just been leading up to work more and more closely with God? What if God wants to use you more today than ever before? What if God is speaking to you saying, My son, my daughter, give me your heart. Give me what's in your hand. Give me your mind. Give me your hands. Give me your feet. How many of you want to say, Lord, I give you more today than ever before? Amen. I give you more today than ever before. If that's you, if you want to say to God, God, I give you more today than ever before, please just raise your hand. Is that you? Lord, I give you more today than ever before. Thank you. God wants to use you. Think of it. Partnership with God. I don't think you're going to have a better boss than that. His understanding. The Holy Spirit is gentle. The Holy Spirit will train, will comfort, will, will speak through you, will speak to you. Who else would you rather be working for? What a thought. What a thought. We began talking about God asking Moses, what is that in your hand? What if in heaven we see a little boy and a little girl come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, what is that in your hand? And then Jesus begins to tell the story. And he says, and he actually gives us the words of, of Jesus. Then he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. These wounds that Jesus received was in the house of his friends. What a thought. What is that in your hand? And then Jesus will say, it was well worth it. It was well worth it to come to earth to save us. That's what it's worth. That's, that's the cost of salvation. Is it worth it? Absolutely it's worth it. Jesus could have left heaven, could have not left heaven, could have stayed in heaven. 
But he chose to come. He chose to be nailed to a cross. He chose to say, this is how much I love you. And then he says, this is the the wounds with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. What a thought. How much did Jesus give? Jesus gave it all. He gave his time. He gave his energy. He gave his life. Is there any more that Jesus could do? If that's the price that Jesus was prepared to pay, why can't I give him my life? Why can't I be used by God? Why can't I have the same heart that Jesus has? Lord, this is my hand. You know what's in it. Please use it for your glory. This message was made available by the Stanmore Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit stanmoresdachurch.net.
And that was a song by Eastward Missions done at one of their music camps entitled, Lord, Send Me Anywhere. Coming up next, Fountain View Academy will be singing, Live Out Thy Life Within Me. Yeah. 
my name is Dr Kylie Smith. I'm an environmental educator. Thank you so much for joining me today. In this program, I'm going to look briefly at the role of environmental factors in heart health. I will explore the rational basis for the Bible's teachings on the environment. And I will look at how scientific research provides support for following God's plan. To look at the biblical ideal, we need to look right back at the beginning of our world, back to creation. We find the creation story in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And after God had created the world on the sixth day, we read about how God created people. So looking in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we read, And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So here in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 to 28, we have an overall summary of how God created people. In chapter 2, we're given more details about creation in general and God's creation of people. Looking in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, we read, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we see here that God created people out of dust or dirt. And this shows us that there is a very close connection between people and nature in God's original creation. Where did God then place these people, this man that he made? And later on, we read about how he made the first woman. Where were they placed? If we have a look in verse 8, we see that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so we see from this that God placed people in a garden. And science is now revealing to us the benefits of the environment in which God placed people. In fact, there is so much scientific evidence. Today, I just want to speak briefly about a few health benefits that have been linked to natural environments. So in 1877, one of my favourite authors wrote, It is restful to eye and mind to range over the scenes of nature, 
over forest, hill and valley, plain and river, enjoying the endless diversity of form and colour and the beauty with which trees, shrubs and flowers are grouped in nature's garden, making it a picture of loveliness. So this quote points out that nature promotes relaxation and reduces distress says right at the beginning of the quote it is restful to eye and mind so there is a lot of peace to be found in nature according to this author this is very important because distress is a significant factor in health conditions including heart health and today we are hearing a lot about how much negative stress there is in our lives especially in western society so how does stress negatively impact our heart? Well, one way is through adrenaline. Stress releases adrenaline, which increases our heart rate, causes blood vessels to constrict, alters the viscosity, or in other words, the thickness of our blood, as well as its clotting properties. All of these factors drive up blood pressure, increasing the risk of heart disease or stroke. And so science is now showing that the restful scenes of nature can help to alleviate negative stress. What can nature do? How can it help us? Well, some of the things that help are the sounds of nature. So flowing water and birdsong have been shown to have therapeutic benefits. Tree density and vegetated settings have been shown to elicit positive emotions. Outdoor experiences can improve calmness, they can reinvigorate and rejuvenate the mind, body and spirit. They can promote feelings of safety, opportunity, connection and pleasure. Contact with nature has been shown to reduce anger, frustration and aggression. And contact with nature also increases a sense of belonging and acceptance. So from um, this research that has been done, we see that nature in itself reduces distress. Now, activity in nature confers additional benefits. We often hear about the benefits of walking for health. And if we can do that out in the fresh air, then it's um, going to obviously have health benefits that we can't obtain from working in the gym. And studies have been done specifically on gardening and it has been shown to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. So we have seen that contact with animals and plants has positive effects on health. Join me next time when I discuss what can happen when we are removed from the environment God has created for us. I'm Marilyn, the two-tip lady, helping make your life more simple. Let me ask you a question. Does anyone really have the power to make us angry? I learn a lot of lessons in my bush spot where there are kangaroos and wombats and bearded dragons and even slithery snakes to teach me. I don't like the snakes and I can barely cope with the dragons, but I'm wondering, as I often do, do you ever feel like hissing like a snake and acting like a dragon while breathing smoke and fire and brimstone down other people's necks when they annoy you? I'll ask that question again. Does anyone really have the power to make us angry? Do they?
Or is that power something that we give to ourselves? Let's think about it. I'm going to give you two tips today to help you get rid of that hissing, breathing monster inside. And these tips work. The trick is to use them. So let's see what they are. The first one is simple. <laughs> but it's not easy to do. But it is simple. Here it is. Zip your lips. Tip number one. Zip your lips. That's all it is. Yep. Easy. Mm, well, simple, but not easy. When you feel the heat rising and you start to feel like smoke's going to belch out of your mouth any moment at somebody, do you think it could be possible to zip your lips instead and quietly walk away? How would you do this when every part of you is all geared up with your adrenaline running on full alert and you're ready to strike that match? How can you zip your lips and walk away? Well, I'll tell you one way that I used to do when we lived in a luxuriant rainforest years ago. There were times that things were annoying, <laughs> severely so, and I'd suddenly experience that feeling of anger and I would just want to lash out. Well, I had a little spot in the bush under the tall stately trees and I learned to zip my lips and run outside rather than reacting. I wish I'd done this all the time. I'd sit on a little log on the forest floor and before long I'd notice a bird calling or a magpie pecking away or I'd see a kookaburra banging a big worm on a log and some forest creature scratching around in the dirt and it would take my focus off my frustration and I'd start to feel happy again. Then I could walk back inside with a smile on my face and forget the anger of the moment. And what a blessing that is because what happens if you give in to anger. Do things get better? No way, usually things get worse. Hurting people is no fun, and usually you do. And something I learnt too, apologising is not fun either. I don't like doing that, I'd rather zip my lips. Crying till you're swollen and full of self-pity is no fun either. I've found that the person usually hurt the most is me. So if it's someone else, well, yes, I've already mentioned that. Apologising is no fun. You can knock that bit out. <laughs> so the best thing you can do is to say, I'm going to walk away from the situation and I'm going to zip my lips. You might want to just walk outside in the fresh air, look at the sunshine or notice the birds, look at the stars, and just breathe deeply. And you can actually say, God, would you help me to overcome this feeling? And do you know he will? Nature will do it for you too. We can kindle a huge fire when we allow ourselves to give in to anger and fires are never easy to put out. So tip number one, zip your lips and walk away. That's it, simple, not easy. Tip number two is a natural result of doing tip number one. Here it is. Refocus your attention. Three words. For tip number one, zip your lips. Tip number two, three words, refocus your attention. If you do tip number one, zip your lips and walk away, tip number two is going to happen naturally. Think about the person who's making us pretty cranky. Perhaps you could be misunderstanding them. You just might be getting it all wrong. I have many times in the past when I thought it was all somebody else's fault, when actually I was just tired or hungry or both. I wasn't really listening properly. I misjudged what they said. We all do that sometimes. You can figure out how to refocus your attention. You might actually think something nice about that person. Whoa! You mightn't feel like it, 
but give it a go, you can do it. We can choose how to react. Others are not responsible for our choices. Just try this next time the heat is rising and blowing steam and smoke and fire would be your next natural reaction. Zip your lips, refocus your attention. Do you have to do this entirely without help? No, because God will help us. We choose and he helps. In Psalm 146.5, God reminds us that happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord. These tips work, so give them a go, because I know. That's it today from the two-tip lady who loves to help make your life more simple. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.